0: Before I go into this episode, I just wanted to say a couple things because I might sound a little bit different or I might have maybe a different air about me, and I want to maybe explain that. I recorded chronologically, I think, the first three episodes. I believe this is going to be number four chronologically. And a lot of time has passed since I recorded episode three and this one. And I recorded two other episodes in between that because they were kind of like feeling episodes. Um, meaning I had a lot of feeling and I just wanted to record to get it out there. Um, but after the last one I recorded, I really didn't. Have the motivation to record, and I'm not sure why. Um, maybe it's because I had a consistent therapist, and I was getting some more stuff off my chest. Then, but I probably haven't recorded in a month, um, and I haven't had like the motivation to record either. Um, I've been going through a lot of different feelings. As some people know, I've was kind of depressed for a little bit. Um, I definitely had like a week that was just full of anger, Um, but now I am, I think, in a better place because of something that, um, a dream that actually one of our acquaintances had, um, and I'll get into that into a different episode because that's not where I want to focus today. I just want to put that out there. If I sound maybe a little bit different, maybe not as weepy, maybe I don't sound different at all. I don't know. Um, But I wanted to also say that there's two major things that happened that gave me some motivation to start recording again. Um, The first one is I went to this help group, therapy group, I wouldn't call it therapy group, um, some sort of group that the National Guard family program put out, and it was meant to help survivors of family members who died by suicide. When I say it was supposed to help, um, I mean that when we got there, I believe the people putting it together were meaning it to be like a group discussion session. But what it really turned out is a lot of really angry people, mostly I was the only spouse there, um, of angry parents trying to figure out why their child had died by suicide, why they chose that route. And although everybody well, I guess no one really blamed the military solely for it. were, We're all there because we're all in the military or our loved ones were in the military. And I'm not saying that everybody in the military is suicidal, but I just feel like they were lost. They didn't know who to talk to about their loved ones' issues. And even one of the main people addressed my about my husband where I didn't know who to talk to and it's not that I didn't know who to talk to it's that regardless if we were on a base or not on a base I wouldn't have necessarily gone to his commanding officer I still would have talked to Our friend John, I still would have talked to his friends before I talked to any commanding officer, and it's nothing against his commanding officer. It's because mainly if my husband sought mental help, was telling somebody about the feelings that he had, he would have lost his job, and that was very important to him, and I didn't want to take that away from him. So, I wouldn't I would have gone every avenue possible not for him to lose his job, but unless you know he was actively saying, "I'm suicidal, I want to kill myself," then I would have said, "Okay, that's it. We're going to the hospital. I don't really care." Um, but back to my point is that it seemed lost on there was no advocacy. There was no person there. Or solution to all of these problems. There was just a lot of anger and a lot of talking and it didn't, to me, it wasn't overly helpful in a healing process, but it was helpful in a motivational way where maybe I can find an advocate or I can be an advocate or I can get Stuff rolling in order to provide better mental health for military veterans and people in the military because that's what they need. They don't need to be told to toughen it up. They don't need to be told that, okay, well, if you go seek help, then you'll lose your job. They need to stop manning up this shit and maybe to lasso it a little bit and take care of the people that take care of the country. The other event that I had, and it wasn't really an event, it was a walk I had with my friend Rachel. Her husband is a pilot in the unit that John is in, and I love them both dearly. Rachel is a art therapist or she's going to get her art therapy um, certifi- license certification I'm not sure what it is I'll have to clarify her I hope one day we'll I'll have her on but I'm definitely going to um, promote her stuff and she and I have a lot of the same thoughts but she when talking to her she's just she heals your soul when I talk to her I just always feel better and I feel calmer and I feel that she understands a lot of the stuff that I was going through and she's able to talk to me very, just like a human, but every time I talk to her, it's like she hugs my heart and our walks are insanely productive and she is planning on kind of doing the same thing I'm doing but more, well, just through a different medium using her artwork versus me talking I'm not good at art, (laughs) Um, but I am pretty good at talking. So hopefully between the two of us, we can somehow change or be the starting people to make a change at some point to how military members are treated and how they are dealt with in terms of mental health issues, because we can't keep sweeping it under the rug like it's not there. You can't just say, okay, if you get help, then you're going to lose your your job. It's not going to make depression. It's not going to make suicidal ideations go away. They're just going to be hidden, and they're not going to be discussed until someone is on the brink or they take their own life, which clearly has happened. So that's kind of where I am right now in my motivational process to do this. It's, I think maybe have turned less therapeutic, at least at this point, and more purposeful, which I think sometimes is even better because then... I have some weight behind it or hopefully I can get some weight behind this and hopefully we can make some change and hopefully maybe one day we'll save some lives or be a catalyst for that, which is, I think has always ultimately been my goal. So jumping back in um, here is episode four of died by suicide last episode i left off after getting the death notification of john my brother and sister-in-law stayed the night I know some of his friends came down. I know the Bohuni ex came down. I know Scott and Adam, his two really best friends, in addition to John, were here. My uncle and my cousins, I think, were over. I can't remember a lot That night I slept for a couple of hours, probably four or five, and then something woke me up, and then I was just up. I think I was up at about four o'clock. When I woke up, I had a lot of anxiety. Obviously, my husband just died. But I also knew that the next day or so was going to be me just calling and telling people that John had died and making plans and basically starting a really tough journey to say goodbye to him. I had to let my boss know. So I emailed him around five to have, to give me a call. He usually wakes up pretty early. So he gave me a call, I think around 530 and I told him and it was the first time I had ever heard him say fuck. He literally just yelled in the my the phone what the fuck no like just no and that was kind of pretty much everybody that I talked to that day I called well I would text some people and I said can you please give me a call when you get a chance Um, and I remember having to tell his some of his two really good friends who he worked with at the hospital one lives in Vermont and the other one um, she didn't know yet but her husband works for Lifestar who's also a really good friend with John and he would probably find out soon and my biggest worry is that people would find out before I was able to tell him, and I didn't want certain people to know via Facebook or via social media or word of mouth so My day was basically making phone calls and listening to people yell or cry or just say what the fuck, no, on the phone. And it's like reliving that trauma over and over again. Because now it's not just your heartache. It's you're passing your heartache on to everybody else. And I hate doing that. I, If I could take everybody's pain and sorrow and just put it on myself, I would do it and I would just live through it and figure it out. But I just, I felt so bad putting it on everybody else. That morning... Around 10 o'clock, I had a meeting already set up with a liaison from the Army. She, I actually still don't know her official title, but I call her the Death Lady, and she is amazing. She is, her job is to basically help families through every step of the process. That comes with a military death. And sometimes she just kind of showed up and just hung around if I needed anything. Throughout the whole process, she would give me rides places. She would call people. If I didn't feel like calling somebody, I could ask her to do it, which was helpful sometimes. Well, helpful a lot of the time, but she was and is an amazing person. Um... But I had a meeting with her and I saw John's parents for the first time, which was since, you know, we found out the night before, which was awful and heartbreaking. And, you know, once again, a terrible experience. My sister-in-law took Jack to her house because I didn't want him to go to school because I wanted him close by. But I didn't want him to see everybody sad because he's a very intelligent kid and I needed a good way to tell him. But I didn't want him to know quite yet. So... Piper stayed home and she slept. She was still taking morning naps then, which was fine. But... Which is good also because she still liked to s- snuggle every once in a while and just feeling the weight of her on my chest was just so therapeutic at times. It was a blessing and I don't know how I could have gone through all of this without my kids. As crazy as it seems, but even at five and one, they're just... so amazing and so good for the soul. After the meeting with the death lady, um, John's parents left. Well, his brother and his sister-in-law were there too. I forgot about that. They left and I continued to make phone calls throughout the day. And I was getting a lot of messages from my uncle and from, John, who knew the state trooper that was going to talk to me. And so I was just giving it a couple of days or I was giving it a day. I don't know. Those days felt like years to be honest, but I was giving them some time to get back to me because I knew they had an investigation, but that was very anxious. Like I just wanted to talk to them so I could figure out what my next steps were because not only am I dealing with a death of my husband I am also dealing with it in the two weeks or three weeks before his unit is supposed to deploy. So I've got to get things rolling because they need to be with their families. They don't need this to be an extended process. And I felt like they needed some closure as best as you can, I guess, in, you know, three weeks. So... The that night, my mom came home. I can't remember who was over the house. I think a bunch of people were over the house that night. I think his unit actually came over that day. His unit has been so amazing. They were in and out of the house pretty much for two weeks. They brought every time they came, they brought food, they brought diapers, wipes, they brought Legos for Jack which is amazing, and except for the fact that I started having to put them together for him. They brought anything that I could need so I didn't have to go out of the house, which was good because at that point, I felt that the world was looking at me, was like, oh, there is that lady whose husband died and her dad died. This is the saddest person in the world. And... I don't know if that's narcissistic, but that's just how I felt. Like I just felt like everybody could see it in my face that I was living in a trauma world, a trauma state at that point. And I just, I hated it. I didn't want people to see me like that. And I still don't want people to see me like, Oh, poor you. Oh, poor Tessa. But I don't think there's any way anybody else could see me at that point. That night my mom came home and, whew, man, that brought up a lot of feelings. <laughs> it's kind of like when you keep everything together until you see your mom or your spouse or something and then you know you can lose it because you're in a protective space and that's kind of how it felt when she came home. I think I was trying to avoid seeing her because I'm not overly excited that she was coming home because I knew all of these feelings and all of these things would come back out. But I also needed her a lot. So I don't remember that night too much either. There was just so much going on. And I just couldn't sleep, but I was so exhausted And I remember that on social media, like more and more Facebook posts and stuff were coming up about John. And I had to, I told his parents that I really have to make a statement or put something out on social media. And I think by that point, by, you know, 48 hours afterwards, Everybody that we wanted to be notified was notified. And so I think the next morning around 5 a.m. I put something out on my Facebook. Not saying that he died by suicide, but saying that he had died and that, you know, always take care of yourself. Please take care of yourself. Please take care of your mental health, which is essentially saying that he killed himself. That morning, about 20 minutes after I posted that, I got a call from one of my friends that I used to work with when I worked at the ambulance company in Norwich, Melissa, And it was, it was literally like 5 a.m. And I answered the phone, not knowing why she called me, but I still had her name on my phone. I mean, it's kind of obvious why she called me, but she called me and she goes, hello. I was like, hi. She goes, this is Tessa, right? And I was like, yes. And then she's like, what the fuck is happening? And it was so good. I just spilled my guts to her. And mind you, I haven't talked to her probably in five years, except for like a happy birthday exchange on Facebook or something like that. I have not really talked to her that much. And it was one of the best phone calls I think I could have ever gotten. It was so nice of her to reach out, especially at five, like putting... (laughs) Putting hope in the fact that I had kept my same phone number and calling that number at 5 a.m., just giving zero fucks if it was my number or not. And I honestly, I could never thank her enough for just reaching out and calling me and just letting me have a conversation with her about things. And it was it was very lovely and helpful. And I still owe her. A dinner. Not that she needs anything owed, but I, it was just so nice. So my advice is always reach out. Even if you haven't talked in five, 10, 15 years, it's always so wonderful to know that people are there for you. Even if they don't reach out back, just the amount of text messages and phone calls and Facebook posts that we received from everybody, it was nice feeling that I wasn't completely alone. The next day or so, I kept getting text messages from a couple of different people that were telling me that the state trooper who was handling John's case was going to reach out to me and I had to go make a statement and then after that I could claim his body or something like that. And I remember being very frustrated because I was waiting around for this trooper to call me and I really just wanted to know the state of John's body because I had No idea um, what to expect, I guess. It came to a point where I actually called the troop that he, that this state trooper was attached to and yelled at the state trooper that was kind of assisting the other state trooper, but didn't really know too much about the case. And it was, I think, one of the only times I really lost my shit through this whole process. And I think it was because I really missed John, and I wanted to see him. I just wanted to, I guess... Hold his hand. I remember just wanting to hold his hand one more time. And I felt that the only way I could do that was by talking with this trooper and figuring out how I could see him. I finally got a hold of the trooper, or I think he called me. We made arrangements to meet that day. So, Candace brought me up there, the death lady, to Hartford to go speak with him. I remember one of the things he saying to me is when he, well, he told me about the timeline of the events that happened. And this is the first time I knew the timeline um in my head for some reason i thought that john had gone to work the next day so he had gone to work on tuesday and in my head he went inside to go to work or do something and it was too overwhelming he went back into his car and that's when he killed himself but in reality this is when i found out that it was after our conversation that he had driven up to work and that he was inside his office I still don't know how long, and then got in his car and was found the next morning or afternoon. And that was very devastating to hear because that's where a lot of my guilt comes from because it's right after our conversation. Because I feel like if I had done something different, if I had acquiesced or just given him a hug or maybe was more patient or try to figure out what was really going on with him at that point. Maybe he'd still be alive today. But then again, I don't know. I don't know if it just prolonged it a couple of days because if he had continued drinking, we would have just gone right back to fighting. And he didn't seem like he was slowing down at all. He didn't seem like he was going to stop drinking. And... I don't know. I've always lived with that. I can see that last moment, the last time I saw him in my head all the time. I think about it all the time. I think about what had just happened. What would have just happened if I just gave him a hug? Would it changed anything? Would have not changed anything? Mm-hmm. But that, I think, is what a lot of people go through, is what could have I have done different? I think that's where John Mahuniak and I have a very kind of... Unique guilt bond almost over the fact that we were both the last person or, you know, some of the last people to see him. And what if we had done something? You know, what if we had said something different or been more concerned or, I don't know, needed him? I don't know. Just you think about a million different things. I always think about in this situation, the. Avengers multiverse, where Doctor Strange is like, This is one in the million chance. If this one, if this is the scenario, then we're going to win. It's like, What did I do wrong in this world, in this multiverse, where I couldn't save John? Could I have ever saved John? I don't know. I was listening to the Jordan Harbinger podcast, and he does these Feedback Friday. Sorry, totally forgot what they were called. It's not Flashback Friday. It's Feedback Friday. And he had a letter from someone who was very concerned about their friend. Their friend was a very intelligent person but very stagnant in their life. And just had decided that at some point he was going to kill himself. And I wonder if that's where John's life was, if that's where his constant state of mind was, where instead of deciding to die by suicide, every day he was deciding not to. Every day he was fighting that battle and I just wish that he would told me more about that battle. I wish he'd let me in a little bit more. I felt like I had a, a decent amount of insight into his feelings. I knew when he was angry. I knew when he was having a rough time. I would do my best to talk to him about it. A lot of it would be while he was drinking. That's the only time he would really open up to me. And I always try to do my best, I feel like. I think had there not been a deployment coming up, had there not been... Actually, I don't know. This... I don't know if this was always going to happen in his life. I don't know if I could ever prevent it. But I know it happened. And I know that I am working through and trying to help it from not happening it to other people not happening to other people. Back to the state trooper. So he had told me the timeline, and then he told me when he arrived on scene that he had seen the car seats in the back of John's car. And this statement had always resonated with me. He was like, what the fuck are you doing, man? And that's always like I said, stuck with me because that's how I feel too. It's like if you hate me, if he had hated me, if he didn't love me anymore, if he wanted to be with somebody else, I don't know. If I just wasn't the person that he wanted me to be, that's fine, but we could have worked through that. But the kids, man, I just wish he would have stuck it out harder for the kids. But at the same time, here goes this constant battling of thoughts and feelings and everything else that goes with this is Jack got to know the best parts of him. Jack got to have amazing memories of his dad. And he's still young enough that he doesn't hate his dad for what he did. And I'm so grateful for it that he was able to have that time with John and that he still thinks about his daddy all the time and he still talks about his best friend all the time. Because I have a lot of anger and I have a lot of sadness that goes with any memory that's attached to John. I, you know always say that if I ever saw him again, I would give him the biggest hug in the world and just punch him right in the face afterwards because of how angry I've been at him for leaving us, for leaving his kids, for leaving his friends, and every moment of happiness that I have, I always wish that he was here to spend it with me, but he's not. And then that makes me mad, and I'm trying to have these moments of happiness without having immediate anger and sadness afterwards. Which is really difficult. After I gave my statement to the state trooper, um they he was able to get some stuff from John's car that I wanted. And he was able to talk with the medical examiner's office in order to release John's body to the funeral home, which meant I could see John. After I knew I could see John, that's all I wanted to do. I just wanted to see him. I just wanted to hold his hand. I just wanted to be with him, like in his presence. And I knew that he's dead. It's not gonna be him, but I still just, in the worst way, just wanted to hold his hand. We used the Deska Funeral Home in Newington, which I highly recommend. Not that I'd ever, not that I'd ever thought that I would ever be on a podcast recommending funeral homes, but they were absolutely amazing. I think I was able to see John the next day after I talked with a state trooper and it was a very sad experience seeing him like that it was very heartbreaking but it felt like it was my only my personal goodbye to him where it was just him and me talking and I was able to say goodbye without the ritual and the fanfare and that was really important to me and it was really important just to see him and just to hold his hand and talk to him which I did I was very nervous about seeing him I was very anxious to see him and he looked good but I knew it wasn't him as soon as I touched his hand it was cold and he was never cold he was always hot all the time He looked at peace, though. And I remember I held his hand and I cried and I said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I couldn't fix you. I'm sorry I couldn't help you. But you also didn't want to fix you. And that's how I really feel. I feel like it was just... He was too far down this rabbit hole and he didn't, he didn't, he couldn't think of being fixed. He couldn't think of a way out. I think after I was so upset with him for drinking and seeing him drunk that he just was like, I can't do this anymore. And instead of getting him help, he made a terrible decision. But it was at that moment that I felt an incredible amount of strength and the willingness and the wanting to be there for my family and be there for our friends and his family and especially his unit and the subsequent goodbyes that we were going to have through his wake, through his funeral. I felt like I needed to be strong for everybody. I felt like I needed to not fail them because I felt that I failed John, but I couldn't fail his unit. I wanted his funeral to reflect the good parts of him, the amazing person that he was. And I wanted to be the strong person that I knew I could be and not be crazy or crying all the time and screaming and throwing plates and getting shit face or whatever. Although everybody gave me the space and opportunity if i needed to so many people said that if you want to throw something or if you just want to get hammered or you want to go ahead and do this but i just i just didn't i felt like so much of my life was out of control at that point that i just wanted to be in control of my emotions and my actions I wanted to be able to control some parts of my life and I chose to be able to control myself. I also felt that if I was screaming or carrying on or being, you know, out of control, crazy or throwing shit people would be like, okay, well, I know why he killed himself. Look at his wife. is crazy. And I know that's fucked up, but that's also kind of the way that I felt a little bit. I didn't want to seem like I was the guiding factor in his suicide because I was already afraid that I was. I was afraid that I was the reason why... He decided to kill himself. After I saw him, after I held his hand and cried and had a one-sided conversation with him, to me that felt like that was my goodbye. And I was able to get through the rest of planning the wake and the funeral for other people, for other people's goodbyes, which to me was very important. I hate wakes. I am not a fan of them at all. I used to tell John the only way that he was ever allowed to give me a wake is if he dressed me up in a windbreaker and permed my hair and had a white turtleneck on just straight-up 90s style. And he agreed. Um, But I felt he... I felt that I needed to have a wake for him, and it was open casket because his trigger warning about his method of suicide... His head was intact. It was, the funeral home did a great job making sure that no one could tell really where he had shot himself. And I felt that it was necessary for people to see him. I think it was a big closure moment because I think if you just see a closed casket, it might not be... Real. It might not be, holy fuck, he's definitely in there. It might just be a wooden box with a lot of people crying around. And I think some people needed to see that it was in fact him. So I did an open casket wake. After I said that about all of these people needing closure... I also do want to say that wigs are the most ridiculous thing I think you can put somebody through or a family through. It was just, I think, two or three, maybe even four hours of people walking through a line, crying, hugging you, being upset, all where you're supposed to stand there in heels, at least for me, and be poised it's just to me it's just a ridiculous ritual but we did it there is also a lovely honor guard there for him that they had two people standing by his casket the entire time and I probably broke a whole bunch of military rules by giving most of those people hugs because I knew them and I wasn't going to let them stand there without knowing that it sucks for them and it sucks for me and I'm glad they're here with me We had a reception after the wake at Tap House 150. Shout out Tap House 150. Because I felt that it was necessary for people just to kind of come together because I knew some people were coming from out of town. Some people wouldn't be able to make the funeral. And it was, the wake is 45 minutes from where the funeral will be held So I knew that there's just going to be a group of people where it's closer for them to do the wake and closer for people to do the funeral. So I just wanted something for people to be able to get together, have some food and have some drinks after it. And also for us at the, the wake to have some food and drinks afterwards because it was a long day. And even though it was really hard for me to eat, it was just nice sitting down and being around a whole bunch of people that I knew and loved and were able to laugh and talk about John and all of his shenanigans and everybody else's shenanigans. And it was just a nice time. His funeral was the next day. It was very difficult I was just waiting just to get through the day. That's all I wanted to do, was just say goodbye to him. I think I do a lot of avoiding through my, I don't know if it's even healing, but that's how I deal with things sometimes, and I just avoid them. And not that I wanted to avoid his funeral, but I just wanted to avoid about thinking about it all the time, every day, every little detail. And I was just ready for it to be done. It was an absolute beautiful ceremony. I dressed the kids my, and myself in dark blue. So we'd be matching with dress blues with him. <laughs> the first AV, or the first mountain ball we went to He had the pink and green army uniform. I had a dark blue dress on. The dress code technically for the army at that point was the dress blues, and I had gone around making the joke that I was in my dress blues. It was a silly joke, but some of the older people seemed to like it. After the funeral... We had a nice reception at the Coast Guard Academy. The funeral was at the Coast Guard Academy. It was lovely. But it was also really scary just to go home. Even though I had my lady squad, my mom and my grandma and my aunt, who if there's any disaster anywhere, if you need them, they will mobilize and be there and do laundry and dishes and watch kids and do whatever you need them to do because they're that amazing all the time. But I was just scared. After that funeral is, has been, I guess, the start of my brand new life. And not in like a exciting, I just moved across the country for a new job and a beautiful house. It's my new life with... Two kids that I have to make sure that I don't fuck up and a family that I feel so bad that I put them through this and that they're hurting and a unit that I feel bad that they're hurting. It's just all sadness. But I will say that it has gotten better. I can't express how lucky enough I am to have his unit. They are absolutely an extension of my family, and I don't know where I would be without them. They put together a beautiful ceremony for John at the facility, and he had his helmet and different parts of his uniform that they memorialized for us. I was able to give a little speech there, which I had to cut out a lot of jokes I was going to tell. I'm not good at being serious all the time. John and I were never good at being serious all the time. And... I do better when I can make people laugh, but it was just not the correct venue for that. It was... It was just sad. His funeral was just sad. It was very different from my dad's where it was a remembrance. It's a big look at how he lived. He had all of these things, and it was remembered all of these good times where we still remembered John's, but it was much more of a mourning. It was much more tragic. After that ceremony, I remember looking at my mom, and I'm like, I'm done saying goodbye. Like, I just can't say goodbye anymore. Shortly after John's funeral and his service at the facility. The guys left. Their unit deployed. And I have been working on putting my life back together. I have a great group of the spouses that are obviously spouses of the guys that are deployed, that we have a text group and we get together and it's so amazing to see them. I have some of my own friends. I have family, but it's still really difficult. It's still hard not to feel alone all the time. And I still think to myself that, or I still have these moments where I kind of look up and like yep John's dead like he's not just gone to work he's not gone on deployment he is not in this world anymore and those little moments of reality always just suck but I'm doing my best to heal myself I am trying to work on myself from the inside out. I'm doing my best to be there for the kids, be there for myself and be there for my family because I think that's the only way that I can move on is by helping others and turning this pain into something productive. I think for the rest of the episodes that I'm going to put out, they're not going to be as chronological as this one. I think they're going to be more of things I'm going through, things I've been through, kind of episodes based on an organized group of feelings I've been having, I guess. The one thing I do want to ask of anybody listening, anybody hurting, is just to please talk to somebody. You're not in a hole you can't climb out of. You just can't see the top. You can't fathom the top. But it's there. You just need to talk to somebody. Please don't stop talking. I'm not going to.